So Adam, I was thinking, some people might have missed the leaders debate on telly the other night, and I know you did that awesome word salad quick summary of what was said, but I thought for people in a rush, we should provide like a 30 second version of the entire debate in the words of the actual protagonists themselves, Ardern, Collins and Campbell. Cool. So here we go. Miss Ardern, double duty, border protection agency, child poverty. $30 million, $900 million, $31 billion, Ms. Ardern. Is that a yes or a no? Ms. Ardern, pumped hydro. That's just nonsense. Minimum wage. My husband is Samoan. Well, if I may. You're both on autopilot. Ms. Ardern, double duty. Small businesses. Capital gains tax. Capital gains tax. A one-fingered salute. If I may, John. I wouldn't <laughs> want a gin. You need a plan. We've got a plan. We've had a plan. Ms. Ardern, double duty. Ms. Ardern, double duty. Ms. Ardern, double duty. Good, good God, that was to, to the bell. No my haramai ki tick tick stuff's 2020 election podcast. Mo te rahuroi, mahuru rua te kauma ono. Ko Adam Dudding tēnei. Ko Eugene Bingham tēnei. Tēnā kato katoa. We bring you the news, some of the more unusual things about the election, and then we slow things down to focus on one particular kōrero. There are 21 days until the election. Hey, lots on the show today, so let's get on with the first bit right now. What on earth is that? How quickly you forget, Adam. Remember a few weeks back we had this idea of a flaming wheel of policy? That's right, kind of like the world's nerdiest game show, only with fire sound effects. That's it. But we parked it because no one seemed to actually have much policy to talk about. Yeah, that was a bit of a flaw in our cunning plan, but things have ramped up a bit since then, so let's give it a whirl, eh? Okay, we'd better explain how it works again, though. True. So, we've got the spinning wheel, like you might have seen on Wheel of Fortune or at quick fire raffles at school galas, and instead of numbers, we've got policy categories. And we'll give it a spin, and then whatever policy the you know pointer arrow thing lands on, we'll dig into that policy. Yeah. Shall I give it a spin? Yeah. But I really hope it doesn't land on tax. I, I know it's important, but I just can't. Public holiday policies? Oh, well, I guess it would make the show nice and short, because there's not a lot to say about that one. But let's see what happens. Give it a go. All right. And it's... Education. Okay, this will be educational, I guess. Bom, bom. And in terms of government spending, education is the third biggest budget after benefits and health. So probably worth a look. So what have you got, Eugene? So education is one policy area where there's a definitive left-right divide. On the left, there's a push for equality through state interventions. And on the right, it's more about choice. When you look at the data, there's not much argument. Poor kids are not doing as well. And so it's a matter of how do you deal with that if you want to lift everyone up. So what do the right-wing parties want? So National Act say charter schools, we want them back. And ACT wants to put money into an account each year for families to go and buy their kids' education. And National's got that $3,000 one-off credit that families can use. And one of the things they can use it on is early childhood education. What about the left-wing parties? 
Well, Labor and Greens are more about saying, look, we have an education inequality problem in this country and we need to sort it out and we're going to do it through things like making sure schools lift Māori achievement. And they're looking to continue things like school lunches, which sort of dovetail into poverty as opposed to strict education policy per se. But I guess hungry minds and all that, you know, if you can't concentrate because you're hungry, you're not going to learn as well, all that sort of thing. Okay, so that's the big picture. Hit me with some details. Well, we can break things down into a bunch of subcategories. Early childhood, schools, tertiary, then sort of trades and vocational training at the other side. There's a lot of ground to cover. Is there anything that particularly takes your fancy, Adam? Well, I've always been a follower of the Sound of Music School of Explanatory Narratives, so let's start at the very beginning, which would be early childhood. Just as long as I don't have to sing do a dear. Right, early childhood. National has a bunch of things which seem sort of intangible from strengthening monitoring to exploring ways to ensure disadvantaged kids get access. But two kind of concrete things jump out. They want all new schools to build an early childhood education centre on site and they want to remove teacher registration fees. ACT, well, they've got that idea of funding education through payments to individual bank accounts for each kid's education. So under their scheme, you get $12,000 a year per child from the age of 2 to 18 to spend at any registered provider. So if you've got three kids, are you allowed to just go and spend $36,000 on a very, very educational trip to Fiji? Nope. It needs to be with a registered provider. The Greens, they want to increase funding. I couldn't see how much, but I might have missed that. And also, they've got the idea of establishing community hubs at schools, which is kind of similar to that idea of the Nats. What, that idea of having early childhood inside new schools? Yeah, sort of bringing everything together. Top, the Opportunities Party, there's a bunch of policies that they had, but one that stood out was delaying structured learning until a child is seven years old. Under that, you'd allow parents to choose when a kid starts school between age five and age seven. So it basically means two extra years of sitting on an iPad before you go to school. Or drawing at kindy and stuff like that. Labour, they're really uh, hot on pay equity. Uh, $600 million over four years to boost wages of early childhood education teachers. There's a continuation of a bunch of things, as you'd expect for an incumbent government. One of the things that's new is integrating Te Reo Māori by 2025. And speaking of which, the Māori Party says it wants to increase funding for Te Reo Māori training for teachers and lift up Kohangarau, which it says they've been let down in breach of the treaty, which there was a Waitangi tribunal finding a few years ago, which said, look, hey, government, you're not doing enough. You need to do more. The Māori Party says we're still not doing enough. All right, that's early childhood education. Mm -hmm. What about schools? Yeah, this is the densest area, really, where there's heaps of policy. Let's start with one of the minor parties, New Conservatives. Who are polling at what at the moment? 2% in that poll this week. Anyway, so a couple of their ideas, opposing compulsory te reo Māori teaching and requiring transgender students to use school facilities of their assigned sex at birth. Okay, so they want to rewind the clock on a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Greens, there are some things there you might expect, adding ecological sustainability and civics education to the curriculum, but also things like increasing the ratio of teachers to children in the classroom. Labour, again, there are a lot of policies that start with the word continue, but some of the things that jump out include replacing the decile system for funding with an equity index. So the decile system, that's your 1 to 10. 10 means that the catchment for school is relatively wealthy. 1 means the catchment for school is relatively poor. Yeah, that's the one. So this equity index would use a different measure to assess the student population in a school. And Labor says it would result in more money going to help disadvantaged schools. They've costed it out at $320 million over four years. 
National, there's some really micro-level stuff in there, like building a new primary school at at uh, Waikanae doesn't get more specific than that. But there's also some big picture stuff like establishing charter schools, boosting school infrastructure. Remember there was that whole thing when the Green School was a controversy and the Nats came out and said, look, we're going to improve these schools. That's a better way to spend money. Uh, they want to bring back achievement targets. They want more teacher aids and support staff. There was another policy that jumped out to me, Adam, for uh, which I thought might be of interest to you. you, you daily runner down to the beach. Expand a program for children to run daily at school. Huh? Fair enough. We used to do that when I was at school in the 1910s. Mm, just after you'd been dropped off in the horse and cart. Right, uh, the Opportunities Party, healthy eating, compulsory to our Māori, reducing assessments, replacing reading recovery with a science of reading approach. Oh, sounds scientific. It does. The Māori Party, allocating at least 25% of education budget to Māori education models, making te reo Māori and history core subjects to year 10, banning schools from kicking kids out of school before they turn 16. Interesting one. And here's one you'll hear kids everywhere cheering for. Free digital devices and internet for all kids from years 4 to 13. All right, that's school. What about tertiary education? Well, remember we've seen Labor back away from expanding that fees-free university study policy they had? So that's just basically saving money because of COVID. Yeah, yeah. National wants to jumpstart the foreign student flow again. Um, some things you might expect. ACT wants to protect freedom of speech in tertiary education facilities, so universities and things. Freedom of speech. Sounds good. I wonder which groups it is that they want to protect the freedom of speech of, though. Hmm. Doesn't say in their policy. Greens want to make student allowance universal, so they want to make it the guaranteed minimum income of $325 a week for every tertiary student. All right. That's a lot of flaming policy. One thing, though... I don't recall you explaining any New Zealand First policies to me. What's up with that? Um, That's because when you go to their website, click on the policy tab, and nope, still nothing there except for the three-year-old coalition agreement. But you can kind of scrape through their press releases and things that they've announced. And these are the sort of things that emerged. More play centres and mobile kindergartens in rural areas, screening kids for dyslexia, fully funding tertiary study and training and scrapping student fees and loans if students work for one year for each year of study. All right. So that's the Flaming Wheel of Policy, part one, education. I was thinking we might be able to spin it again today, but I reckon we're out of time. Can we play again soon? Sure. All right, then, on with the show. You know, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Twitter. A lot of mornings I'll take a quick peek before I've even got out of bed and sometimes that's an okay thing to do and sometimes it's a really horrible thing to do because among all the droll jokes or people chatting about a good book that is read and the occasional TikTok video or a link to a really interesting article I wouldn't have found otherwise, there's the occasional bit of abuse and obnoxiousness. Okay, there's actually lots and lots and lots of abuse and obnoxiousness. Twitter is a troll's paradise. And something that's kind of obvious, if you care to take notice of it, is that the trolls are especially trolly towards women. And they're also kind of extra mean to politicians. So women politicians, they really get it in the neck. Now, there's an argument that if you don't enjoy swimming in a Nazi-infested, squabbling, hateful cesspool of abuse and death threats, then maybe you should just log off Twitter. This is, of course, a rubbish argument for lots of reasons. But if you're a politician, it's a particularly bad solution to the problem because these days social media is a really important place for talking about your politics and your policies and generally being part of the public conversation, which is where politicians should be, right? So 
toxic Twitter trolls are a genuine political problem. Uh, they're an election problem, especially, which is why we're talking about them right now on the Tick Tick podcast. Anyway, not so long ago, a group of Canadian women decided to do something about it. My name is Casey Machen, and I am the COO and founder of Areto Labs, and I'm located in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Casey Machen set up Areto Labs with her colleague Lana Cuthbertson, and they launched something called ParityBot. We use artificial intelligence and machine learning to detect toxicity in the Twitter verse, and then we turn those negative tweets into a positive tweet. So Casey and Lana's AI parody bot monitored the Twitter accounts of women politicians running in two Canadian elections in 2019, one regional and one federal. And the trick is that every time parody bot spots a toxic tweet aimed at a women candidate, it would sort of even up the playing field by spitting out a totally new tweet of its own. Only the parody bot tweet would say something positive and affirming about women in politics. Something like... Who runs the world? Girls. Or... Woman candidate, a noun female political contender who despite all the assured negativity and bullying will fight for her right to lead. So that's Canada. But earlier this year... My name is Jacqueline Comer and I'm a creative technologist and I am in Auckland, New Zealand. Parity bot arrived in New Zealand. Jacqueline Comer is another Canadian, but she lives here. I'm married to a Kiwi. I have a, an aunt in the family who was an MP, so everyone in the family is quite involved in politics here and there. And she's worked with Casey and Lana to get ParityBot running in time for the New Zealand election. So I was actually talking to Lana about another project, about some of my own research in uh, natural language generation and processing, and we got talking about what she's been doing with Casey with ParityBot, and we thought, you know what? It would be really interesting to run that uh, in New Zealand and just see what happens just due to the different electoral system here. And with more women already in Parliament, what does that actually mean in terms of toxicity on Twitter? So we got Casey on the line from Canada. Hi there. And Jacqueline on the line from New Zealand. Hi. And Eugene started by asking Casey about the problem that ParityBot is trying to tackle. Can we have a look at the the problem itself? And, you know, nasty tweets are obviously a, a bad thing in general, but Can you explain why you think they're especially a problem for women and even more specifically for women politicians? In our previous work, Lana and I founded a nonpartisan organization whose aim was to increase gender parity. And so part of our work was to recruit women to run for office. And while we were visiting and chatting with women and recruiting um, them to run, everyone almost across the board came back and said that one of the major barriers to running for office was the amount of online hate that they were going to receive. And so that's really what led us to develop ParityBot because it is such a problem. So. Mm. So women politicians and women that are running for office tend to face even more disproportionate amounts of online negativity than their male counterparts. It it impedes them from utilizing the social media tool in a way that they can engage with their constituents and and voters. You know, women are faced with far higher rates of gender-based violence. And so that translates from online definitely into real life. So we see women sort of dropping off. So it's not just vile, it's actually a barrier for women. Absolutely. It's a barrier for entry and it's a barrier for maintaining entry. We've talked with many, many politicians across the globe. This isn't a Canadian thing that say, honestly, it was so vile, it made me want to quit politics. Okay. Can you step us through the parody bot process from initial toxic tweet through to parody bot's response? What happens? 
Sure. So basically, we search for the Twitter handles of all the people that we want to track. So in this case, all the women identifying candidates in an election. In this case, in New Zealand, we are tracking, I think, about 57 candidates. So then we track their Twitter handles. I like to think of it almost like a layer or a bunch of ovens um, that these tweets go through. So the anytime any tweet is directed at one of these candidates, it goes through sort of like an oven and in that oven there is like seven filters that range from racism to misogyny to gender-based violence and sexual violence and so it scores that tweet based on those seven filters so we set the threshold that we would have the the tweet be um, considered toxic so in this case I think we've set it at a 90% toxicity rate and so the tweet that comes in it's scanned all seven of those filters have to score the that tweet as 90% or higher likely to be toxic or hateful. And then that triggers our bot on the front end to tweet something positive. Those positive messages have been crowdsourced from all over the globe, but we've really focused on trying to get local positive tweets, as we like to call them, submissions so that we can use those and it be really meaningful for the cultural context in which it exists. So how do you teach a robot to figure out what is toxicity? What is toxic? And, and how do you define toxic? Casey, you'll have to correct me if I get any of this wrong. So the filters, or robots, I guess we can call them, are existing algorithms that have been trained to recognize toxicity in the English language. So I think that one of the ones that ParodyBot uses was trained on the comment section of the New York Times. It's trained on that language to understand and scored what is and isn't toxic. Um, things like, you know, sentences in all caps uh, might be scored highly. If there's a curse word in it, that would be probably rated toxic as well, even though sometimes we do use curses in uh, positive ways. I've just had a bit of a browse through some of the tweets that ParityBot found in New Zealand and identified as toxic and kind of made me wonder, instead of searching for swear words and violent words, did you consider just looking for spelling mistakes? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I've, I have this dream of being a, a grammar vigilante on Twitter, and it would be amazing, actually, to create a bot that just automatically detected spelling or grammatical errors and just sent out a correction. Actually, that's a really good idea. <laughs> there, there, and there. <laughs> What's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Eugene here. There was one kind of awkward thing about doing this interview in this feature, which is that we're talking about people who are saying nasty stuff, really toxic tweets, and we didn't want to give those comments oxygen by actually saying them out loud mid-interview. But when we were actually editing it, we realised that unless you actually hear some of those tweets, it's hard to understand just how unpleasant they get. So as a sort of compromise, we're going to read a few of the New Zealand tweets that ParodyBot has detected and defined as toxic, and then we're going to bleep out the bits we consider too offensive to actually broadcast. At Jacinda Ardern, you are a that throw Māori under the bus, you racist At Judith Collins MP, your hubby is a At Jacinda Ardern, Nazi, stick that fax in At Judith Collins MP, you troll, it's a closed ballot and she doesn't have to tell anyone So yeah, these tweets suck. Back to the interview. 
So walking through the process, in response to the existence of an abusive tweet which has been directed towards a woman in politics in Canada in the first instance and New Zealand in the second instance, the bot then generates a positive tweet. But it's not replying to the abuse, is it? It's it's a totally separate thread. So why didn't you set it up so that whenever, you know, Twitter user at Troll Lord is abusive to at Jacinda Ardern, the robot replies directly to at Troll Lord? Great question. Um, so a couple, couple reasons. So that's all possible, being able to respond directly to the abusive tweet or respond to the person that was the recipient of that hateful tweet. Uh, we are able to do that, but there's some unintended consequences sometimes when you do that. So you can end up amplifying trolls, which mm. um, we know isn't always the best, but also from a more protective standpoint, um, sometimes when you draw attention to the candidate, it can draw more trolls to the candidate and cause sort of like a pileup. So mm. we sort of wanted to respect those boundaries. Also, we hadn't received consent from all the candidates. So currently in its design, it doesn't do either. We wanted to be able to deploy it to raise awareness about the online abuse in a way that wasn't amplifying the hate. But it also is really validating. We've um, done a lot of user research and a lot of women candidates have said to us, it was just validating to have someone say like, that was toxic. You were right. Mm. You should have been offended by that. And that was toxic. And so that alone can be validating enough just to know that someone else is is watching. But we're considering experimenting with the technology to maybe try and respond directly to the troll to see if maybe then we can deflect some of that anger from women candidates onto the troll because bots, as you know, don't get their feelings hurt. <laughs> um, and so that's something that we're looking at experimenting with. And we would just like to do that in a way that isn't having unintended consequences or, or, or more problems for the women that are faced with it. Actually, just in terms of that process, let's say I'm a woman candidate, somebody's just said something nasty to me, and your bot has has thrown out a, a balancing nice message. How would I know about it? What what mechanism is there for the the candidate themselves to be aware of the bit of it? Currently, um, there's not, unless we told them there's not. We can do like sort of two tweets. We could reply to the troll or we could at the same time then respond just directly to the candidate and say, hey, we're sorry that you were on the receiving end of a mm. terrible tweet and we want you to know that we have your back. We can do that. So we have tried adding some of the Twitter handles of the women candidates that are running in New Zealand. So yeah, we're experimenting with that to see, to see how that works. More generally, the world's drowning in toxic tweets. <laughs> Do you seriously think you can make a difference by putting a few thousand nice tweets out into the world? Is this futile? I don't think it is. And I think that this is a really great moment where in New Zealand, we can actually show the rest of the world that we can do something about this and make a difference. I think there's never been a time, and excuse me if this is not right, but I don't think there's ever been a time where the world actually knows who New Zealand is, knows who the Prime Minister is, um, is looking at, I think, with the response to COVID, um, that, you know, seen as a world leader in certain spaces. Yeah, and I think if we can lead the world in anything, it would be amazing if the five million of us can understand this issue 
and can make a difference and and call other people out. I mean, Parity Bot's great. We can call it out. We can send out positivity. But the more awareness that we have about this issue, the more that we understand that it is a barrier for entry for women, women of color, to actually participate in equal government, I think we can do it. I think we can do it in New Zealand and show the rest of the world how it's done and actually make a difference and start a movement. Mm. Jacqueline, I'm, I'm interested in why it ended up in New Zealand. And is there anything in particular about the New Zealand ecosystem that you noticed that you thought we need to do this? For me, it was a lot of curiosity. I was quite involved in politics in Canada in terms of helping um, candidates run for office that I liked. I loved to door knock. I loved it. And moving here, I've been quite intrigued with how the electoral system works here and the representation that you have with, you know, having list MPs and having two votes. I'm still trying to figure out how to hmm. how to strategize around that. So I thought, you know, it, it would be interesting with a country where you have a strong female elected prime minister. Minister. Uh, there has been a non-elected female prime minister in Canada one time. And you have the MMP electoral system where that automatically ends up that you have more representation of women. What does that actually mean in terms of toxicity and ability to actually run? Is there a barrier? Is there, I mean, New Zealanders are known to be really nice, just like Canadians. Um, <laughs> and will it work here? I think there was a bit of concern and a bit of giggling before we actually turn the bot on to see, is it actually going to work in New Zealand? There's a passive aggressive way of communicating here mm. that will the, will the bot even pick up on the nuances of Kiwi English? Mm. Um, we had to teach the bot some Kiwi colloquialisms as well. Yeah. So it's just, uh, you know, for, for me personally, just looking at what, what will we learn about running it here? Is there any difference between how people react and communicate with female candidates in different electoral systems in different countries. And I mean, there's so many things that we could learn from this that I think will help with the, you know, parody bot US, parody bot world. I mean, whatever that ends up being. So you actually had to teach it New Zealand specific language. Yes, um, I did have to send Casey um, a, a list of like these yeah. are these are bad words here, and I did have to uh, I crowdsourced with my my Kiwi family on the family WhatsApp channel, and and that really speaks to how important it is for us to partner with locals because it is so important to use nuanced language um, and understand the context around it, yeah. I wanted to know how the bot would react if somebody called a politician an egg. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Did I give you What's, guys egg? Uh, I don't think so. What, what or, is or that? Or we should say egg. Egg. That's right. Like, how is it? How is it spelled? Egg. You know, uh, the things that hens make. Okay. Oh my goodness. Oh, I'm that is gonna... that's perfect that you just said that, Casey. <laughs> the fact is, it really isn't an offensive word. It's it's an affectionate insult, and you could get away with saying it in just about any context, actually. Oh wow! Interesting. Okay. <laughs> We really wanted to go to New Zealand because of everything that Jacqueline mentioned. You know, Jacinda and sort of being seen as this world leader. She's young. She had a child while she, I mean, she had all these firsts, right? And uh -huh. so for us in sort of that gender equality space, especially in politics, she was sort of seen as like, wow, look at how awesome they are. But also from Canada, we 
we see New Zealand as like even more polite. And so Jacqueline's right. Like when we first turned it on, we were like, what if no one tweets anything toxic and we've done all this work for nothing? Um, but no, within we've come through five minutes. We didn't disappoint. Yeah. I'm sort of proud somehow. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, I mean, the other thing about New Zealand is, again, we have two women contending for the top job. Can we predict what that will mean for toxicity on Twitter in the build-up to the election? We pulled some some uh, statistics today, and I believe, and I haven't done any of the calculations, but I think that between Judith Collins and Jacinda Ardern, they are getting probably, what, 80% of the toxic tweets? I mean, it is quite excessive. Though there, that is also the privilege of rank. I mean, the number ones are always going to get... M- of course, uh, disproportionate yeah, And to remember, not all of the negativity is coming from locals. It's international. Yeah. yeah. What have been the main differences you've noticed so far between New Zealand and Canada? I guess one of the things I've noticed is the the pickup. So when we first did this in Alberta, we relied obviously on our networks. Uh, Jacqueline being in New Zealand has really helped and being in communications obviously has helped. She's been a huge, huge help for us. But the amount of um, like pickup that we've had on Twitter and the following that we've had so far and, you know, a hundred followers doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you're a bot in a brand new Twitter verse, that's actually, that's inspiring and that's um, really exciting to us that it, it's resonating with people there um, that have never heard of it. And we've had people reach out to us to offer us funding and things to keep it going because, yes, it might seem a bit Pollyanna, but at its very core, like this is really meant to make a space that is very toxic and can be very exclusionary. We're trying to just make it more positive and somewhere that candidates can go to feel better about running and not lose sight of the fact that it's important and we need them there. Mm. And you actually were able to figure out a, a toxicity percentage, as it were, in the Canadian elections. So what was that and how was New Zealand tracking? Was it about four and a half percent for Canada and I think we're, yeah, it's sitting at around 2% for New Zealand. So go New Zealand. We are nicer, clearly. Yes. I think it was a bit different with Alberta and Canada. The toxicity levels were different. And then the bot was actually set to different toxicity levels as well. I think because it was going to run out of tweets. We've got a few um, pretty high profile women politicians and candidates. Um, Catherine McKenna federally for the Canadian election. Like she... It was astounding the level of vitriol that she received. And so we actually had to scale back our um, hate score because it would have tweeted too much and we would have gotten in trouble with Twitter, essentially, for flooding a feed. So, I mean, that gives you an indication. Yeah, it's awful. They called her Climate Barbie. Yeah, Climate Barbie. So just the same sort of uh, misogyny as Cindy. Mm, Same sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Remember, too, that um, the election, it was in New Zealand, it was delayed. And so I think we'll see some of that increase as the election rolls on. And, um, you know, things always get more heated as an election continues. So, (laughs) Does Parity Bot NZ have a life beyond elections? Could it be a positive influence that exists and, and is active I know, all the time? 
Yeah. Um, we're actively deploying for the American election. And so, yeah, every bot essentially right now has their own branding, like Parity Bot NZ, Parity Bot US, Parity Bot Canada. Parity Bot is sort of like the general overarching one. And so we use that to track some of the world leaders, political leaders. But for New Zealand, we'd love to keep the bot going. We'd love for this to be something really that takes off. And, and as Jacqueline said, it creates a movement. And I would love it if New Zealand was the one to take the lead on that. All the money that is collected from our Patreon account goes directly to deploying our bots in as many places as we can. So we will keep uh, Parity Bot NZ running for even a little bit after the election. Um, and then depending on some of our user experience research, we will determine what's the next best course there. Uh, and then we um, immediately switch over to the American election. And the really lovely thing is that all of those positive tweets that we've collected from locals in New Zealand um, and around the world will be used in the American election. And that brings me a lot of satisfaction <laughs> to be able to bring parts of Canada and New Zealand and some of the other places uh, from around the world into the American election in a positive way instead of a Russian cyborg way. <laughs> yeah. But to say, I like the idea is that it uh, maybe it's the same in Canada, but certainly here in New Zealand as we watch the American election, which does matter to us, but in which we have absolutely, absolutely no stake or say. It's kind of mm -hmm. nice to know that someone's figuring out a way for us to, I don't know, interact in a positive way. Hey, yeah. thank you so much, Jacqueline and Casey, for telling us about ParityBot. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. And for everyone out there, submit a positive tweet. We are actively collecting positive tweets that we can use in the bot. That was the Tech Tech Podcast. Mō te rahuroi, mahuru, rua te kauma, ono. I'm Adam Dudding, he's Eugene Bingham. Thanks to Casey Machin, Jacqueline Comer, Siri, Jack Price, Catherine George, Patrick Crutzen, John Hartevelt, and Carol Hirschfeld. You can find us on all the podcast platforms, and if you want to get in touch with us, you can email tick at stuff.co.nz. If you want to support Stuff's journalism financially, you can do that by going to the link on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. Ka kite a tera wiki. Matewa. Masadun, double duty. Masadun, double duty. Masadun, double duty.